Now, if you've got a Bible there, turn with me, please, to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Didn't say that, did you, Luke? Good. Philippians chapter 1. Paul is writing his letter to the Philippians. It's a bit of a... It's referred to as a friendship letter, Philippians. There's no real major issues that Paul's dealing with with the Philippian church. If you... If you go back to Acts chapter 16, you can see where the Philippian church was birthed and uh, what took place there and, and, and how Paul ended up there and how the gospel got to that place and, and the different individuals that were involved in the starting of that church. But Paul writes this letter to them and it's, it's referred to as a bit of a friendship letter. There's no big major issues or dramas. There's a few people that aren't getting on with each other, but you know that happens in every fellowship and every uh, place that Paul went. But Paul has a great love for the Philippian people. He has a great love for the church there and a father's heart towards that church as well because he was there in the initial stages of it. In the beginning of it, he writes this, just starting verse 1. It says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you Always in every prayer of mine, making a request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. These guys had partaked in the mission of getting the word of God out there. In particular reference, this particular passage, the Greek sentence structure is written in such a way that it's clearly speaking about a financial blessing that these guys had given to him. There are only three times in the New Testament where this particular sentence structure is used and each time it's in reference to a financial offering. Now Paul was taking up an offering. A lot of the stuff you hear in the New Testament about uh, Paul asking for money and, and talking about an offering... Paul was very smart. We had the, the Jewish believers and the, the Jerusalem church and then you had the Gentile believers, those that weren't Jews that came to faith. There was still a little bit of uh, uncertainty from the Jewish believers about the Gentile believers. We're, you know, they're not Jewish. They, they love Jesus like we do, but they're not Jewish, so we're still not sure. So anyway, Paul's very smart. The Jewish believers in Jerusalem were going through a bit of a hard time financially. There was, there was a big struggle there. So Paul went around to all these Gentile churches and he raised money. The point being... If I can raise this finance from all you Gentile believers and then take it to the... It shows those Jewish believers there who are struggling, you guys really are on board. So there was a strategy in, in what Paul was doing when he was raising money and talking about these offerings to these different churches. It was showing these Jewish believers that, hey, these Gentile believers, they really have bought into Jesus. They are one with you. So much so that they're going to give up their material possessions to help you, practically help you. So uh, in this particular instance where he talks about uh, your fellowship in the gospel, he's speaking about that offering that he's taking out. But he goes on in verse 6 and he says this. He says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it. Being confident of this very thing. How many of you know confidence is a good thing, isn't it? Confidence is actually a great thing. Uh, but, but, but confidence can also be a bad thing if your confidence is in the wrong place, if your confidence is in the wrong foundation. How many of you were confident on Wednesday night that New South Wales were going to win? Your confidence was in a bad foundation, just like mine was. Um, I'm only learning that now. You know, when the final whistle went, I realised the error of my ways. It was too late to repent the moment it happened. Um, I've got to live with that for the next 365 days and to make matters worse, my wife's a Queenslander. And she'll make sure I live it for the next 365 days. So you can have your confidence in the wrong things. I remember one time uh, Johnny here in the front, um, we were living in in Brisbane and we were living in a two-storey place. 
And I remember uh, sitting on the lounge talking to Jackie and I looked over to the left here and here's Johnny standing on the window ledge. The window was open, second story, standing there with his Buzz Lightyear suit on with his cape, with his hands out about to scream infinity and beyond and jump. Very confident in Buzz Lightyear's ability to fly but probably had his confidence a little bit misplaced. He couldn't actually fly and I would have hated to have seen the end result. I said to Jackie quietly, so don't look, so don't panic. I just want you to turn around and reach out real gently and grab Johnny. So she just grabbed Johnny and just pulled him back in time. Otherwise, he would have been to infinity and beyond without a doubt. I remember one time coming home at night time, me and Jackie, quite often we would do a block. We, we, we call them blockies. And life is busy and hectic and it's hard to connect. So sometimes we will, um, the kids will be, uh, we'll put them to bed and then we'll just do a block around the, around the, um, where we live, just to, to connect and talk about the day and so on. And I remember one night doing a block and, and Jordan, my other son, was so confident that mum and dad wouldn't see the fact that he was running around in, the, in his bedroom, in between his bedroom and his brother's bedroom when he was meant to be in bed asleep. He was so confident that mum and dad wouldn't know. And then uh, his confidence was shattered when he heard dad's voice at the window, Jordan, <laughs> stay right where you are, I'll be in in a second. His confidence was shattered in a moment. I remember one time I was extremely confident. Um, it was the day that Jordan was born and uh, he was born in Brisbane and my wife went into labour and we were working with uh, uh, Youth of the Mission at the time in Brisbane and uh, she went into labour and I took her to the hospital. Now I was, I'm a mad touch football player. I always have loved my sport and, and as I've gotten older it's more touch than, than contact because of my, my body and stuff. But um, anyway, I was playing in a competition there in Brisbane and, and I took Jackie to the hospital and Jordan was born. I can't remember what time he was born, but I remember he was born. Baby came out. Jordan was healthy. We were all happy. Jackie was laying in bed and she was sort of drifting in and out of sleep. And I looked at the watch and I thought, I reckon I could make it to the game, play and come back. It'll be fine. She, she probably won't even notice she'll be asleep. So I took off down there, um, got out of the car just as the game started. Didn't stretch, didn't warm up. Got on the field. As I ran on the field, I remember clearly hearing God say to me, make sure you warm up. I didn't because the game had started. I didn't want to miss anything. I ran straight out on the field caught the ball, took off down the sideline, rolled my ankle, broke my ankle in two places, snapped the front of it, the whole thing. Uh, ended up back in the hospital ward with Jackie at about 2 o'clock in the morning, leg in plaster, on crutches, uh, and all of a sudden my wife had to now come home from the hospital look after a brand new newborn and someone who wishes that they weren't born. Um, so I was very confident that I'd make it home in time, but my confidence was greatly misplaced. How many of you know that confidence can be a great thing but it can be a really bad thing too, depending on where your confidence lies? Now, Paul's got a great foundation of confidence here. Paul's saying, I'm confident of this one thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. He who has begun to do something in your personal world is going to finish that job. Paul's confident about this. He who has begun something in the Philippian fellowship in this church, he's going to finish what he started. Paul's confident of this thing. Very, very confident that God will do what God has set out to do. God doesn't start things and not finish them. Um, we, we, we lived in India for a long time. I've got a, a good friend of ours here, Jacob Colwell from America, uh, this morning. And um, his parents, uh, when I went over to India um, for the first time before I got married and we were pioneering a, a ministry over in India, I was with Jacob's, uh, they were mum and dad now, but they weren't his mum and dad back then. They were just part of our team. And uh, so we go back a long, long way. And Jacob's over here now studying at the Gold Coast. And so we got wind of that and he's come down and had a great weekend with us. It's really, really good to see you, mate. Glad you can be here this morning. Um, but uh, where was I going with that? That's right, we lived in India. And you know, one thing that stands out about India is the amount of unfinished houses. The amount of unfinished buildings. Doesn't matter where you go in India, you drive along and there'll be so many jobs that got started and then either they ran out of money or couldn't get workers or 
monsoons came and the foundations got to be... Whatever, there are so many unfinished houses. It's all over the place in India. It's one thing that, 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 that sticks in my memory about that place, the amount of unfinished buildings. You know, when God begins something, he counts the cost first. God has all the resources that he needs to finish the task. God has all the, the blueprints are there. He knows exactly where he's going. When he first starts that first thing in your life, when he first gets a hold of you, he knows exactly where he's going with that. How many of you know God didn't start working in your life the day you got saved? God was at work way before that, doing things, working out situations, watching things unravel, going, how can I use that for my good? How can I use that for my good? How can I use that for my good? And God takes all these things and he, he journeys with us and he takes us along that journey. Now at the right time, at the right time, he sends along that message or the Holy Spirit comes and opens up our heart and we can understand it all. That was my journey. I, I, looking back on my journey, I can see where the hand of God was there right from the start. I never saw it at the time. Um, I felt isolated. I felt alone. But looking back, I can see where God has been a part of that journey all the time. Our journey to being here, to, to, to being a part of this, this church here. I can look back now and from, for seven years and, and five of those years were very, very dark and hard place, but I can look back now and I can see what God was doing. God was doing a good work in me, just as he's been doing a great work in you as well. God finishes what he starts. Are you aware? Are you actually aware that God's doing something in your life? Can you confidently say, the Lord's doing something in my life? Are you just hoping? Maybe, God, you're doing something in my life. Maybe you're interested. Maybe. Are you confident? in the character and the nature of God, that right now, whatever you're going through, whatever the situation is, whatever the circumstance is, God is doing a good work in you. God is doing a good work in you. When we understand that, when we embrace that, it gives us a great level of confidence to go forward. It gives us a great level of confidence to deal with the situations that we deal with every day. It gives us confidence to know that no matter how dark it is, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the point is I walk through it. I'm not stopping there. I'm not building a tent there. I'm not camping there. I'm not having a holiday. I'm going through it. I'm coming out the other end. You know why? Because I'm confident that whatever this thing is right now, God is doing a good work in me. And he will complete the work that he started. This is the confidence that Paul has. This is the confidence that Paul wants to impart to these Philippian believers. No matter what's going on, hey, guys, keep going because God's at work. Keep going because God isn't finished. Keep going because God is with you. It's an act of grace that changes us. We don't change ourselves. It's God at work on the inside of us. We participate in that, but it's God who does the work. We need to be confident that God's at work within us, within myself, within the church. I've got to be confident that God's at work in the world. Otherwise, I could just get swamped with reading newspapers and, and watching the television and seeing what's going on in the world. The world would have you believe, the media would have you believe that God is nowhere to be seen. The media would have you believe that God is just a figment of our imagination, that maybe 2,000 years ago God was there, but God got to a certain point where he said, you know what, I just can't be bothered anymore, and he turned his back on the world and said, world, you do whatever you want. But God is at work in the world. God is doing things in the world. God is working things out for his glory. We have to be confident of that. As a church, we should be confident about that. We need to be confident about that. We can't be wavering on this point. We need to be confident. We need to be looking 
for God in these things. We need to be looking, where is God? God, what are you doing? Show me what you're doing, Lord, in my life. In the midst of all this stuff, what's happening, Lord? Show me what you're doing. You know, there's a confidence that comes from being on a sporting field with a great player. Um, any of you that have played sport or, or been in a team environment, they, 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 quite often, especially in younger teams, there's one or two players or participants who are so good that when they're on the field, you feel like you just can't lose. You know, I remember a couple of years ago, we, had, uh, we played a, a game of rugby league. I was coaching Johnny's uh, team. We went out to Tabulum and we had to play a game out there at Tabulum. And we had a bunch of kids that weren't the greatest of, of football players. Johnny and one other boy are natural footballers and they play good. The rest of the team were, were not probably so great. But we had this one really big kid that joined us that year. Um, and he, he wasn't a great player, but he was big. And all these tabulum kids just couldn't get him. And, and, and they would give him the ball. And whenever we were in a, in a, in a tight spot, just Angus, like we'd do a set of six tackles. And I think Angus would take it up four out of six. Because the boys knew the rest of us are getting chopped down. But Angus, he'll score. And he scored about... Four or five tries that day. He's running like, he's not even running, he's just walking with all these kids hanging off him. He crashed over the line. And I remember it was a tight game. And you know, we hadn't won a game all season, I don't think. And we got down there and it was close and it was tight. And, and the kids worked out really quickly. Angus is the go-to man. Give it to Angus. He'll, he'll drag him. And poor old Angus, I didn't have any subs. I couldn't bring him off. Couldn't give him a break. The kids just sweating like nothing else. Probably never run that much in his life, to be honest with you. And, and he's, he's struggling, but he trudged along and he'd take one up and he'd turn his back, play the ball. And then they'd be going, no, Angus are going, oh, turn around. Gonna take the ball, walking, 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 with about 30 seconds to go. We knew the game was on the line. We were down by four. And what is the call? Angus, Angus. One last run. They pass the ball to Angus. He charges up, gets about five or six kids on him, just gets over the line, bang, scores a try. Woo, it's a draw. And then Johnny steps up. We kick the goal. And we won our first ever game. But there's something about having that player on the field that gives you confidence. Um, I don't know if any of you were listening to the origin, and I hate bringing it up because I just want to forget it ever happened, but it did, it's part of our life now. But on the origin broadcast the other night, and some of the commentators were talking about players like Andrew Johns and, and, and Darren Lockyer, and, and, and they were saying, uh, I remember hearing one of the guys talk about Andrew Johns, and he said, there was just something about, you always knew you had a chance to win when he was on the field. Didn't matter what was going on, but if he was on the field, we knew we had a chance of winning. Didn't matter what the score was, didn't matter where we were in the park, if Andrew Johns was on the field, we just all rose because we felt like we knew we had a chance. Guess what? You have God on the field with you. You've got to be confident in that. You've got God with you. Whatever you're going through, whatever the challenge, whatever the battle, whatever the drama, you've got God on the field with you. And as long as God is there, be confident. Be confident. God is going to finish what he started with you. God is not finished. He will complete the task that he starts. Four real quick things out of that verse. The first thing, the work is a good work. I know it doesn't always feel like it, but it's a good work that God is doing. You know, the stuff that God is doing in your life, it's beneficial for you. It's beneficial for your family. It's beneficial for your friendships. It's beneficial for your church. It's beneficial for your community. It's beneficial for your nation. Because the work that God is doing is a good work. God only does good works. Amen? God only puts his hand to good things. God doesn't waste his time with bad things. God's not consumed by the bad. God's consumed by the good. God's not consumed by hate. He's consumed by love. He's not focused on dark. He is light. And the work that God is doing in your life right now, it's a good work. I remember some years back I went in for an operation. Um, My wife was overseas uh, for her 40th birthday. Me and the kids sent her over to... 
uh, France and Italy for five weeks with a friend of hers and she had a once in a lifetime trip, it was fantastic. But I remember going to bed one night and I woke up the next morning and I was trying to get the kids ready for school and I kept tripping over all the time I, and I couldn't work out why I'm tripping over, you know. Uh, anyway, I got the kids ready for school and put them on the bus, came back home, got myself ready for work and I went to put my, my, my shoe and sock on my right foot and I pulled my toe up and I put my sock on my left and I went to do it with my right and I couldn't actually pull my foot up. So this is strange. It's like I'm kind of lost use of a muscle in the front of my foot. Anyway, I didn't think nothing of it. I let it go. thought it's just one of those weird things that happened. Maybe in a couple of days it'll be right. About five months later, four months later, I ended up going to the doctor to get it checked out because it never came good. And the muscle down the front of my leg completely died. So I've got no muscle at the front of that leg. It's just a shin bone now. Went to the doctor. We did tests, examinations, up to the specialist at the Gold Coast for months, months. Nothing happened, nothing happened. About 18 months later, they ended up putting me under the knife and they cut down the right side of my leg to try to uh, relieve the pressure on what they thought was a nerve in the knee that was stopping this um, thing from happening. Anyway, after the operation, I woke up. I was in the hospital and I couldn't feel anything down my whole right leg. I couldn't move it and I couldn't feel anything. And the doctors had told me before the operation, there's a slight, you know, minimal, minimal chance that this could go really, really bad. But it does happen. But when we got, you've got to sign the waiver to say, you know, you're not responsible. And I woke up and it was completely gone. And I stayed in there another 24 hours and they gave me more painkillers. I went to sleep. I woke up again and it was still exactly the same. They called all the specialists in. They're looking at me and they're prodding. And, and the bottom line was it looked like that was going to be me for the rest of my life. My right leg would have no feeling and no use in it anymore. And I remember laying there and thinking, what does that mean? What does that mean? I've got, you know, I've got, got um, four kids and uh, I'm very active. I love playing sport. I've got a job that requires me to be on my feet and all sorts of stuff. And I started to get a little bit panicky. But then all of a sudden I thought, well, hang on a second. God, you are with me. God, you know. So if this is to be from now on forth, what will my life look like? And I started to bring God into that. And I started to think about, okay, so let's change that scenario now. It's now just not me by myself with a gammy leg. It's me, and this is going to happen. And if it happens, it's happening for a reason. I'm not saying God causes it to happen, but I'm saying, God, you can even take that and turn it around and make it a positive. You can even take that, flip it on its head, and use it for your glory. My life won't be depleted because of that. My life will be enhanced because you can take that situation, flip it around, and make me a better person for it. Thankfully... 24 hours later, after more painkillers, I woke up and the feeling was all back. I still can't move my leg. I've still got no use of that muscle, but at least I've got feeling back in my leg. But see, sometimes God does things and they feel not nice. Sometimes they do feel painful. And we, uh, we're not, a, we're not a, 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 a group of believers who want to deny pain. Pain is real. Pain happens. Things go not according to plan sometimes in our lives. Sometimes things happen that we look at and they're all sincerity and honesty. We can't see God in it. But we need to have a confidence in our heart that even if I can't see you in it, God, but you are there and you can flip this around and you can use this for your glory. Some years back, I remember being, um, some of you may have heard this story before, but I remember I took my kids down to a park to play. This is when they were really young, before Chloe was born. And um, Jackie was cooking dinner, so I came home from work and took the boys down to a park and we were playing down at this park. And, and, and the kids said to me, oh, Dad, let's play hide and seek, let's play hide and seek. And I thought, looking around the park going, right, yeah, well, there's one tree, there's a swing and a slippery dip. I mean, where are you going to hide? It's not like the most exciting area to play hide. But anyway, oh, Dad, we want to play. Okay, no worries. 
So I said, right, I'll count to 100 and you guys hide. So I covered my eyes. Okay, 1, 2, 47, 90, 100, ready on, here I come. I opened up my eyes and I look around. And of course, there's a slippery dip, there's a swing, and one tree. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, they've got to be behind the tree because there's nothing else you can hide behind. But I thought I'll play the game with them. I'll play along with them a little bit, you know. So I said, oh, I wonder where they could be. I wonder if they're under the swing. And I picked up the swing and looked and they weren't there. And I can hear them behind the tree. <laughs> Hmm, I wonder if they're under the slippery dip. And I look, ah, laughing away, and they're not under the slippery dip. Where could they be? I wonder if they're behind the tree. And I jumped behind the tree, and went, ah, and they went, ah, and we rolled around, laughed, and cuddled, and all that. Then they turned around and said, Dad, you've got to hide now, we'll count. I'm thinking, okay, I've got a slippery dip, a swing, and a tree. Where will I hide? You're right there, you guys count. I went and stood behind the tree. And they start counting. One, two, seventy, forty-nine, hundred, seventy. Ready or not, here I come, Dad. They open up their eyes, and there's three of them. And they start looking for me. They run over to the swing, and they pick it up, and it's not there. And then they go behind the slippery dip, and I'm not there. And then they start looking on the slippery dip. And then they start looking on the swing, and then in the chains of this. And they're looking in all these bizarre places. And then they're, they're joking around, going, oh, Dad, Dad, Dad. Dad, and then the tone changed. Dad, 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 Dad. And I could sense the little bit of panic in their voice. And so I went, made some sort of bird noise. Oh, maybe he's behind the tree. And they went behind the tree and found me. We had to roll around a couple. Anyway, we got up from there and we started walking home. On the way home, one of them said to me, Dad, I was really, really nervous because I couldn't see you. And without even thinking, what came out of my mouth was, yeah, but I could see you. And straight away, the Holy Spirit said to me, and that's what it's like in life. Faith is not that I can always see him. My faith rests in the fact that he can always and is always looking at me. He's always there. Doesn't matter what I'm going through. Doesn't matter what the situation is. He is always there. He will never leave me nor forsake me. He will never leave you nor forsake you. God is there. God is there right now. Think about it. The creator of the universe is looking at you right now. Right now. It's a bizarre thought, but it's the truth. Not only looking at you, he's thinking about you. Not only thinking about you, he's thinking good things about you. Not only thinking good things, he's practically doing things to bring about those good things for you. This is the dude that said, let there be and there was. That's a pretty amazing thought. God is there. The work that God is doing is a really, really good work. Second thing, the work is a process. It's not a moment. How many of you know that? It's a process. It's not a moment. It doesn't just happen like that. The day I got saved, the day I gave my heart to Jesus, I didn't become the person I am right now. It was a process. Sometimes they're great top of the mountain process, looking out over the ocean, sunny day, the birds are singing songs for me. Other days I'm in the middle of an arctic vortex. I haven't got a jumper on, freezing, sitting in the mud. It's a process. Paul was saying to them, he who has begun a good work will complete it. In other words, he said, guys, it's not finished yet. The process isn't finished yet. There's still more work to be done. It's important for us not to get ahead of God. 
with the processes that he takes with us too, by the way. Sometimes we want to run ahead to the end. We, you know, how many of you have those moments where God's spoken to you and maybe he's given you a bit of a glimpse or a vision for the future, what your life's going to look like? Maybe, the, maybe one day God says to you, you know, you're not going to stay single, you're going to get married. And from that day on, you're looking to grab the first man or woman you can because God said, I'm going to get married. But no, no, it could be five years down the track. It could be 10 years down the track. But God has told you something, he's going to do it. Or maybe it's a ministry opportunity. Maybe the Lord's told you that you're going to start a children's home in Africa or he's given you a vision of preaching in front of thousands of people in Europe or something like that. As soon as we get that, we just want to rush right to the end. And God goes, no, no, there's a process for everything that I'm doing here. There's a process. How many of you, uh, probably most of you men would relate to this, how many of you like manuals, instruction manuals on how to do something? I don't need to be told how to do anything, thank you very much. If I'm putting something together, just show me a picture, I can do it. How dare you think I need a manual? Save the paper, save a tree, don't give it to me. I bought the kids a um, table soccer table some years back and uh, it was for Christmas. And so Christmas came and we were putting this uh, you know, around the tree and got the thing. I got the table out, we had breakfast, we got the table out and we, I was going to put this soccer table. It was about so big, it was a big one, big socceroos soccer table. And I was pretty impressed that, that, that we'd found this. It was a good deal and you know, the kids were all excited. So I started putting this thing together and, and what I did is I got out the instruction manual and saw it and... Then I just got the box in the front of the picture and went, okay, yeah, no worries. I opened up the bags and for the next hour and a half started putting the thing together. Then it was looking schmick. It was coming along beautifully. Lovely. And then there was about 62 steps and I got to about step 58 and I had a piece of wood in my hand and I got, it's got to go in. Okay, it's got to go in there. No, no, it's all right. We can do this. Um, I'm looking around and I'm sort of flexing the wood to see how far can I bend it before it snaps and... And in the end, I realised, you know, I'm not going to get this thing in. And I'm looking at that manual, and the manual's teasing me the whole time. It's like, you need me, you need me. I'm like, I don't, get behind me, Satan. You need me, you need me. I'll be here when you're ready. In the end, I gave in. I had some stupid manual. Picked up the manual, flicked it open, got to the point where I was, which was step 58. I was right, I was right near the end. One of the last things um, that I had to do. And I'm looking at this piece, going, right, I said, where does this piece go? And I had to go back, step 57, Step three. Step three, I had to put that piece in. And there was nothing I could do but pull the whole thing apart right back to step three in order to get this one stupid evil piece of wood in. Ridiculous. I had to go all the way back because you know what? If I didn't get step three right, step 58 wasn't going to happen. And our lives are like that. We're a process in work. And God does this and then he does that and then he does that and then he does that. And sometimes we just want to jump straight to that. One of the other things that we, we struggle with too is when God's doing something in our world and God's dealing with me this way, we kind of at times project out that because God's dealing with me like this, he should be dealing with everybody like this. Well, it would, he would be if we were all cookie-cutter people, but we're each individuals with different stories and different journeys. And just because God's dealing with me in a certain way doesn't mean he's going to deal with you in the exact same way. And just because God might be on my case right now saying now it's time to deal with this issue... Yeah, but, but he's got that issue too, God. So, why? yeah, yeah. He might have the same issue as you, but guess what? You're at step 47. You might be at step 16. God says, I worry about that. You worry about you. And here we are at step 47, and I want to talk to you about this, and I want to help work with you on this, and I want to help deal with this. I want to show you strategies and ways. I want to help set you free. Because I've got a picture, I've got a blueprint, and I know what you're going to look like at the end, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah? 
So there's a process to this, and we don't want to run ahead of where God is. Yeah, the other day we were going through some photos at home. We got out, me and Jackie got a big box of photos out, and we're flicking through all these photos, and a lot of photos that we'd forgot we even had, you know, from way back when we started dating and so on. We pulled one out, and it was just before we got married, and when we got married, I had a killer mullet. I had a really cool mullet, because they were cool back then. We're about to have our 20th anniversary in a couple of weeks. But it was a killer mullet. It was really, really good. Johnny looked at the photo, and his first question to mum was, Mum, did you really like Dad back then? She said, yeah, she loved me. Even back then, even with a mullet, even as misused as what I was back then, she loved me, you know? But the thing is, I didn't realise how much I had changed until you pick up a photo of yourself, say, 20 years. Who's ever done that? Pick up a photo, say, 10, 15, 20 years, and you look at it and you go, wow, did I really used to look like that? I thought I always had these lines in here, you know? I thought I always had these crease marks in my forehead. I thought this belly was always there. And I realised, oh, wow, five years ago, I didn't have this belly. What's going on? I've changed. Yes, of course you've changed. We change over time. And it's a process. And we don't always notice the change, do we? How many of you, I don't want to point anyone out, but some people are losing a bit more hair than others. All right? I'm sure I'll go the way of all men at some point, I'm sure. But you know what? I'll bet you you didn't wake up every day and go, lost another one. Whoop, lost another one. Whoop, lost another one. Oh, look, lost two. Two are gone. Because it's just a process. Probably not until you picked up a photo of yourself five years ago, you went, whoa, I've lost a couple of thousand probably, you know? Because change happens over a process and we don't always notice it, but we need to be confident that it's happening. And this is again the point that Paul's saying. He who's begun a good work will complete it. Be confident that God is changing you. You are a work in progress. Um, Move on. Third thing, the work is in you. It starts on the inside of you. God changes us before he changes our circumstances. Who knows that? God will change you before he'll change your circumstance. Because quite often, when he changes you, he then doesn't need to change a lot of circumstances. There are some he will, but there are a lot of circumstances that change simply by you changing. All of a sudden, you look at it differently. All of a sudden, you approach it differently because you've changed. And that's what God is trying to do is he's trying to conform us into the image of his son, shape us to be in the image of Jesus. The work that God is doing is on the inside of us. Uh, last night, Jacob was showing us this thing. It was, it was very touching, actually. Uh, it was a, a young kid on America's Got Talent, was it? America, you know that show, Australia's Got Talent? Well, they've got America's Got Talent. There was a young kid count and he, could, he couldn't talk properly. He, he had this amazingly bad stutter, really bad. And he got up, and, but, but, but they asked him, so what do you do? And he said, I, 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 I'm a c- 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 comedian. And I'll tell you what, he was funny. And I'm not saying funny because of the stutter, but he shared his story. What happened was he was actually a champion, really good baseball player. And somehow, if I remember the story, he got hit in the throat with a baseball and it, it, it damaged his vocals and so on and now he's got this stutter. But what impacted me the most was when they interviewed him before he went out to do his little routine. And he sat there and he said, I, who I used to be, I used to be this, 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 this cool baseball player, blah, blah, blah. He said, the person that I am today... He said, the old me would never even want to hang out with a person like me today. And he broke down and started crying. The person I am today wouldn't even be considered cool enough for the old me to hang out with, to respect, to talk to, to be with. And I thought, here's a young man, and I don't know whether he's got faith or not, it's... But here's a young man that's embraced this life-changing situation and has been able to see that he's a better person for it. 
to be able to sit there and go, I'm a better person now. I've seen some things about myself that I would never have seen had I not had this baseball hit me in the throat. Amazing, amazing testimony on national TV from this young man. Like I said, I don't even know if he's got faith. But I thought, you might not have faith, but you've got a lot of insight into yourself right there through this one situation. The work that God does is inside of us before it's external. He'll change us first and then the circumstances secondary. Okay? <laughs> Fourth thing and final thing, just get Brooke to come back and, and Dean. Last thing is, if God's not finished, then we should be expecting more. If God's not finished, we should be expecting more. How many of us are expecting more? How many of us are expecting God to do more? How many of us are expecting God to have more things for us? And how many of us have through life and the pressure of life and situations and circumstances, and let's be honest with ourselves, only you know, how many of us have just become complacent? We've relaxed our spiritual zeal for God. We've relaxed our fervour for the Lord. We've kind of unconsciously accepted that this is where we are and this is who we are and this is what we've got and that's about it. When the Lord's still got more. If the work's not finished, then that means there's still stuff to be done. There's still stuff to be done. I want to just finish with a, a, a little story in Joshua. We all know the story. The children of Israel go through a whole range of things and then finally they get liberated from Egypt. They get taken out of Egypt and they're given this land. God says to them, this country is yours. This land is yours. This is a promise for you. This is going to be yours. There's no question. I'm not asking you, can you take it? I'm not asking you, do you think you're worthy? I'm not asking you, do you think you have the resource? I'm not asking you, do you think you have the... I'm not asking you, do you think you have the personality? Do you think you have the character? I'm not asking you, do you think you have the life experience? I'm telling you, this is yours. And a whole generation grumbled and complained. They didn't want to embrace what God was doing in them, in the group. They didn't want to embrace it. And so they missed out. And then the next generation raises up. And Joshua is the one that's called to take them across. And he takes them across and they have some measure of victory. Now they go on and they win some towns and they win some battles and, and, and set up some place. But there gets a point in Joshua chapter 18 where they think, maybe that's enough. In Joshua chapter 18, verse 3 says this, Then Joshua said to the children of Israel, how long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? How long will you pitch a tent where you are and go, well, we've had a certain measure of success. We've attained a little bit of what God had for us and we're happy with that because maybe I've attained a bit more than you. Maybe I've come along a bit further than you have. Maybe I'm... But I'm not comparing myself to the left or to the right. I want to be where God wants me to be. I want to receive everything God has for me to receive. I want to be everything God wants me to be. As a husband, I want to be everything God wants me to be. And I'm not there. 
As a father, I want to be everything God wants me to be, and I'm not there yet. As an employee, as a friend, as a pastor, I want to be everything God wants me to be, but I'm not there yet. I want the relationship with God, the intimacy with God that he wants me to have, but I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I want to do everything that God put me on this earth to do, but I'm not there yet. And the danger with not being there yet is that you can get very complacent and you can relax back and go, well, I've had a certain measure of success. I've made it this far. You know, I remember just in, in putting this message together, I was reflecting on, on, on you know, years ago and I remember when you know, I could quite easily get out of bed at this is just a personal thing. I could easily get out of bed at, at, at 4.30 in the morning, 5 o'clock, and, and spend an hour and pray. And I loved it, just to seek God and be with God. Mate, you can't get me out of bed at 5 o'clock to go fishing these days, I'm so lazy. <laughs> you know? The passion, the zeal, the dreams that God gave me, the visions God gave me. I used to passionately pray and, 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 and God, do what you've got to do in me to, to get me to that place. And, and life takes over and we sort of... That's not, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Life happens around us and it does. And this is, not a, this is not a call to fake spirituality. It's not a call to be rah, rah, rah. It's nothing to do with that. It's a call to acknowledge that God is at work in your life. It's a call to acknowledge that God is not finished yet. It's a call to acknowledge that the work he's doing is good. It's a call to acknowledge that, 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 that we go from this place this morning and that we be aware and that we look at things and we don't just brush things over as the situations and circumstances and good and bad. No, no, I want to see God in these things. I want to say, God, what are you doing? Because I'm not there yet, Lord. I'm not there yet. I don't want to build a tent. Just relax where I am. Because God's not finished with me. And guess what? He's not finished with you either, right? Eh? Let's all just stand together this morning. Father, I, I just want to pray, God, for each of us this morning. And Lord, I, I thank you, Father, that your word is true. Father, I thank you, God, that you are not finished with any of us, Lord. Father, I thank you, God, that you're not finished with us as individuals, God. You're not finished with us as a church. Lord, you're not finished with your church, period. And Father, I pray as we go from this place this morning, Lord, that the cares, the worries, the pressures of life would not drown out what it is that you're trying to say to us, God. That we wouldn't walk out of here and go, good message or bad message. But I pray that we'd walk out of here and we would go, God, what are you saying to us, Lord? What are you saying to me? Father, show me any areas of complacency. Lord, show me any areas where I'm failing to recognize that you're at work. God, show me any areas, Lord, where I am not confident that you and me are connected together and that we're doing this thing together called life. God, show me those areas, Father. Open up our hearts, Holy Spirit, to see the truth of the words of Jesus. Open our hearts, God, our eyes of understanding to see the truth that you are not finished, but that you are so, so, so committed 
to finishing this great work that you started in us. That, Lord, you will use situations and circumstances. And if we remain open and humble before you, God, there's no uh, limit you won't go to to help us become the people we need to become. So I just pray, Father, in Jesus' name, you would just seal that message in our hearts this morning, Lord. Father, I pray that this week would be a fantastic week. And I pray that this week, God, we would see Jesus at work. We would be able to see where your hand is at work. We would be able to see where you're doing things, God. We would take great confidence from the fact that you are with us. You will never leave us nor forsake us. Whether we can see you or not is a secondary issue. You can see us and that's where we get our confidence from. Thank you this morning, Father, in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's just finish up. Let's just worship together. Finish up, eh?